The FT. NATO is renewing its commitment to collective defence in Europe. Defence ministers meet in Brussels today to unveil the biggest reinforcement of US forces in Eastern Europe since the Soviet era. The initiative aims to deter the risk of Russian aggression after Moscow's incursion into Ukraine. I'm Ben Hall, the FT's world news editor, and on the line with me from the meeting is our US diplomatic correspondent, Jeff Dyer, and in the studio is Sam Jones, our security and defence editor. Sam, how serious should we take this Russian threat? We know that Moscow annexed Crimea and it's clearly been involved directly in eastern Ukraine in the fighting there and it's obviously backing the pro-Russian rebels, even if it denies its direct intervention. But should we take its broader threat to eastern Europe seriously? I think that probably depends on who you are in NATO. Certainly a lot of the alliances, Eastern European member states, take it very seriously. If you just look actually at the defence spending figures which NATO released yesterday, the map kind of shows pretty starkly who is significantly increasing their budgets in lots of the Baltic states as sort of, you know, double-digit increases to defence spending in the last year, and then that sort of falls away the further you get from Russia. Whether all of this is sabre-rattling or whether there really is something more to it, I think actually remains to be seen. And the alliance itself, even at the sort of top level, even when you're talking to some of the big players in it, don't really yet have a handle on how exactly they're characterising this new relationship with Russia. Jens Stoltenberg, the Secretary General, said last week that this wasn't a new Cold War, but neither was this the partnership that NATO and Russia had had for the past 20 years. And Jeff, how seriously is the US taking it and uh, what's it doing about it? I think they're taking it very seriously. Even in Ukraine, where there is a semi-hot conflict going on, no one quite knows what Vladimir Putin's plans are. They can't be too sure that any of the Baltic states or Poland are under any direct threat. But the statements he's made, the rhetoric he's made about protecting Russian populations in other countries have given people enough positive for thought to think that it is at least possible that some of these countries could come under some sort of attack or intimidation by Russia in the years ahead. So what you're seeing from the U.S. is a slow but sure end of the dramatic reversal of U.S. presence in Europe that you saw in the couple of decades after the end of the Cold War. In the early 90s, the U.S. had over 300,000 troops in the continent. Now that's down to about 65,000. And the sorts of announcements we've seen in the last few days from Defense Secretary Ashton Carter are the beginning of turning back that trend of an increase of U.S. presence in military assets in Europe, but specifically in bits of Eastern Europe that have never really been there before. The U.S. now has announced it's going to place tanks and various other types of weapons along Eastern Europe and the Baltic countries in Poland, Bulgaria, Romania. Not yet putting in troops, but that's uh, maybe a first step towards potentially having semi-permanent or even permanent bases of troops in some of those countries. And then you're also seeing the U.S. announcing the kind of capabilities it's going to make available to the new NATO very rapid reaction force. They're going to have maybe special operations forces attached to it. The U.S. will provide the kind of artillery, so fighter jets and bombers and ships that can send missiles when needed and other various types of logistical support. President Vladimir Putin has sort of upped the ante in recent days by talking about the possibility of increasing the number of nuclear-capable Russian missiles in the region. How does the U.S. intend to respond to that threat? Well, you're starting to see, I think, at this meeting, there's a new discussion amongst NATO countries and within the U.S. about nuclear posture in Europe and precisely how they would need to respond to certain types of Russian aggressions. And so NATO is going to have to go back to the drawing board and start to rethink its own plan, its own deterrence, its own doctrine. And again, at the very least, what you will see is an end to the decline, the lack of interest in nuclear weapons that you've seen for the last couple of decades. 
Sam, you have to ask, how stiff is the resolve of NATO's members really to stand up to Russia? As you mentioned, defence spending is falling in a number of states, or at least they're struggling to meet the 2% of GDP target. And let's face it, some are very against the idea of even fairly limited economic sanctions against Russia. So how do you assess the sort of state of the alliance's readiness to really stand firm? Well, there's sort of two elements to it. I mean, on the NATO military level, there's the defence spending debate, which you sort of rightly highlight, and that is still a source of tension. But actually, when it comes to the sort of implementation of the measures which were agreed at the Wales summit last September and those include this new very high readiness task force capable of deploying within 48 hours and a whole range of other packages to support that. NATO has actually, I think, probably moved a lot faster than many would have thought several months ago. And in terms of what is going on in Europe, in terms of the pre-positioning of materiel, the opening of six new logistical forward headquarters in Eastern European states, things like new powers being granted to Sakur, NATO's top military commander here, those kind of things six months ago seemed you know, very bold and perhaps they were going to take a long time to put into action. But in actual fact, it's all happened very quickly. And now NATO is even talking about what next. The Poles in particular have been pushing for a more hard line. Lots of NATO states are sort of saying, well, we've done everything that was agreed in the NATO-Wales summit, the biannual meeting of the alliance. And now we need to consider more because actually Russia hasn't stepped back from its position. So how do we take things further? Obviously, there are limitations. So the high readiness task force depends on European member states being able to contribute a lot of troops. If defence budgets continue to shrink in Europe, that's going to become harder and harder to do. There is a lot of slack still. NATO as a whole spends a vast amount more money on defence than Russia does. And I think that goes back to this nuclear question, actually, which is one of the reasons why Russia has become so much more outspoken about its nuclear posture is precisely because that it can't compete with NATO on conventional terms. And the nuclear issue is really a sort of trump card that Russia has and a very strong one to play and one that sort of men is NATO states. But ultimately, for NATO itself, it's also an issue of reassurance within the alliance. Perhaps one of Russia's main vectors of attack, if you like, is to threaten NATO and then watch NATO split itself apart as some NATO states argue about whether they should or shouldn't be responding to Russian aggression. That's sort of been avoided until now. But if Russia continues along its current course and as the issue of economic sanctions and the relief of them becomes prominent again, then maybe that will raise its head once more. Thank you, Sam and Jeff. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you might like to try our World Weekly podcast, which is presented by me, Gideon Rachman, the FT's chief foreign policy commentator. Each week, I discuss one of the main political stories of the week with the FT's overseas correspondents and experts. And you can find our latest show at ft.com slash podcasts from Wednesdays. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.